this evening. Ecclesiastes 7, thanks for getting back on the bus. We'll make another stop somewhere along the way, and hopefully uh, maybe some of those who got off will catch up and uh, join us for the last part of the trip through Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Tempted to put you on the spot and ask, I won't do that, um, but I'm kind of curious in my mind how many of you like to take things apart. I'm not asking if you like to put them back together. Uh, I'm just asking at this point if you like to take things apart. Um, from the time that I was really little, I kind of enjoyed going into the garage, grabbing my dad's tools, and figuring out how does that work, whether or not I could actually put it back together. I can actually remember uh, taking a cash register out of the toy box, turning it over, getting the screws, and just backing them out, and seeing, like, here's how all the buttons and springs and uh, things work inside of that little cash register. As time uh, went on, it progressed from toys to household items uh, to mom's vacuum um, to go, you know what, if we take the vacuum apart, maybe we can figure out what that noise is or why that doesn't work, whether it's uh, something in the pipes or in the beater bar or whatever it might be to lawnmowers um, to the point where we ended up with multiple lawnmowers underneath the deck in the back, taking them apart, going, well, what's the problem? Why won't this start? And sometimes successfully fixing them and sometimes sending them back out to the curb. Um, to then going to cars, and like, admittedly, in the midst of all of this, and I've mentioned this before, uh, the security for me was knowing that dad was there. Um, and if I failed, he could figure it out because he could do anything in my mind and go, well, you know what, I'll try. And if I, it doesn't work for me, dad will solve it. Uh, probably the capstone bad moment of that was um, trying to replace head gaskets on my car, uh, 1976 Chrysler Newport, and uh, breaking the bolt off in the engine block, drilling it out myself, driving the easy out in, and breaking that off in the bolt. And now we have hardened steel inside of a bolt with uh, very little way of getting out. I'm like, all right, Dad, solve my mess now, <laughs> uh, which eventually did get solved. But you know, it's a wonderful thing when you can take something apart, look at it, kind of figure out how it works, put it back together and find out it functions. Far more important than toys or vacuums or cars. Uh, Solomon is taking the book of Ecclesiastes and going, let's dissect this. Let's reverse engineer life, if you will, and say, here's how it works best. Here's the right way life is to be lived. Here's the right way life is to be enjoyed. Here's the right way that it points life is to be endured. Because God is sovereign over all, every season of life, right? He's in control. And so Solomon is walking us through going, it's this tenuous balance because we're humans. And if we err to one side and we live for these things, it's all vanity. But if we will live for God and enjoy what he's entrusted to us, it is life worth living. It's a life lived well. As I mentioned this morning, where we've uh, been recently in chapter 5 and chapter 6 tells us that uh, here's what life looks like in the midst of prosperity as we try to uh, enjoy God's will but not live for the things that he gives. As in coming to chapter 7 today, we've started to look at what does life look like when it's faced with difficulty, with adversity, with problems. This morning, as we got into chapter 7, 
just in a very unique and, in fact, in many ways, a difficult way. He says, here's the instruction from death. Here's what we live, uh, or here's what we learn, rather, from the hardship of mourning and grieving, recognizing that there will come a day when life is done. And from that instruction of death this morning, we really gain two predominant thoughts. One, the priority of your character. I hope that stands out in your mind, that that's a motivation and challenge to walk into this next week, whether it's as an employee, or as a husband, or as a wife, or as a parent, or as a friend, or as a church member, and all those different relationships to go, I I want to be a person who lives based on the Word, who strives to live like Jesus, who represents the fruit of the Spirit, who values character. Learning further from the instruction of death, we not only looked at the priority of our character, but secondly, the opportunity for growth, knowing that difficulty can shape our thinking and that sadness can strengthen our heart. From the instruction of death, we spent time then in verses four through six this morning looking at the correction of wisdom to realize that wisdom wants to learn. Now, we said first, wisdom learns from reality rather than escaping difficulty. Again, I I hope you all have a great week. But I have to imagine that someone in here, maybe several, maybe all, are going to face challenges and difficulty this week. And in that, God can use those challenges to teach us, to instruct us, and we would do well rather than escaping them to learn. We said, secondly, wisdom not only learns from reality, but secondly, it listens to correction rather than enjoying distraction. It's been in my mind that it is a faithful wound of a friend to come and to talk to you and go, hey, I'm concerned. This is wrong. Change is needed. That's a good thing. Solomon warned us that the rebuke of the wise is something that we ought to value. Tonight, we're going to move on to two additional thoughts as we work our way from verse 7 down through where we left off in our scripture reading this morning in verse 14. We want to begin, as we come to verse 7, and look at the instruction for life. We've said, here's what it looks like, uh, the instruction that we can learn from death, whenever that may be, but now it's kind of like, so, when it comes to -to day-to-day life right now, when it comes to facing adversity and trying to take one step after the other, how do we live right now? And Solomon just gives us, in the next several verses, very practical instruction to say, as you are living... Here's what should guide your thinking as well as your steps. We might call it the best path to pursue and the right perspective to have as we walk through life. Again, in in my mind, we're kind of listening to the person who's reverse engineered life and said, look, I've tried it every which way. Here's the way that it needs to be lived. In fact, if I go back to the opening illustration, I was thinking, Uh, A few minutes ago about how much things have changed in terms of taking things apart, working on your car, all of that. Uh, It used to be either you had to know or you went and bought that book that kind of worked with your car or looked at a book similar and you're flipping through the pages going, oh man, there's no picture for that part. There's just written instructions and you're trying to figure it out. And now it's like, I just go to YouTube and they're like, okay, grab the 13 millimeter socket and the eight inch extension. You're like, I don't even have to think. It just like tells me every little thing to do. We're going to torque this to this. You're hoping they got it right. Uh, And you just listen along the way. We get to listen to Solomon say, here's the instruction for life. 
we come to verse 7, we hit a familiar theme. The first thought that we want to look at in the instruction of, for life is the tragedy of self-indulgence. The tragedy of self-indulgence. He says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Again, it's a familiar theme from the last several chapters. I think we first picked up on this at the end of chapter 3. Then we saw it again in chapter 4. Then we saw it again in chapter 5 and chapter 6. And now here we are again in chapter 7. And he's reminding us that someone who seeks to take advantage of their position or their influence or their ability or their possessions for personal advantage is in danger. Someone who's like, you know what, I'm going to mistreat others based on my position, my possessions, to get my way is in trouble. He points to the fact that it can change one's character, saying even a wise person, when he gives into this uh, selfish desire for oppression, is someone who is living as a fool. And then the second half of the verse, he says, this gift destroys the heart. The word gift could well also be translated bribe. To go, it corrupts. It messes one up. It distorts judgment. Again, saying in verse seven, at the beginning of verse 7, here's what a man does. Like if someone goes out and seeks to live in a way that oppresses others for personal gain, or at the end of the verse, not what he does, but what he receives... Both lead away from the path of wisdom. Both lead down a path that we could describe as tragedy. Said it this way, selfishness can cause a wise man to act foolishly when money or power is involved. Selfishness can cause a wise man to act foolishly when money or power is involved. Power or oppression, like oppression can make a wise man mad or a gift can corrupt him and destroy his heart. We could maybe summarize a simple thought of verse 7 this way. Selfishness breeds foolishness. Selfishness breeds foolishness. Again, there's an isolated example that Solomon's hit a number of times in terms of mistreatment of people, in terms of oppression. But I would remind us, selfishness shows up in all kinds of ways in our lives. It is what will mess up our relationships, our parenting, our marriage, our work, when we choose to go, you know what, I'm looking out for me. Here Solomon points out and says, when it comes to judgment, when it comes to decisions, it leads down a path to oppression. It leads down a path to corruption by bribery. Looking at Solomon's instruction for life, we first considered the tragedy of self-indulgence. Secondly, we want to look at the superiority of patience. The superiority of patience. We get into another one of Solomon's comparisons. Had some interesting discussion with some of you as to your preferences for the first four questions earlier. No, soccer is not better than basketball. All right, settled. Solomon here is going to give us some comparison that helps us. To say, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And patient in spirit is better than proud in spirit. I'm going to just turn this around for us a couple of different ways and remind us very simply what Solomon is saying. They're phrases that I think many would be familiar with. Solomon reminds us, for example, that finishing is better than starting. You know, you can find all kinds of people who take on an endeavor, who make a commitment, who say, I'm going to do this, and yet it isn't long, and they're gone. 
they're done. Happens even for people in their Christianity, their, their commitment to Jesus Christ, to go, I'm all in, I'm here. And then we're reminded, as we saw in 1 John 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. Solomon's saying, better is the end than the beginning. Better is the patient or the one who endures through in spirit than the proud in spirit. Finishing beats starting. We could also say it this way, faithfulness beats brilliance. Right? Say, well, you know, it's exciting. Look, there's much to be proud of. There's much to get excited about. We've gotten started here. But God honors faithfulness, finishing more so than brilliance. We could maybe say it again, just a different but similar way. Endurance beats impatience. I can't wait. I can't make it. I don't have the strength. And Solomon's saying, hey, better is the end than the beginning. Endurance beats impatience. Maybe in our day, it'd be good to think of it as done is better than could. Well, I could do this, and I could do this, and I could do this, and I could do this. And there's all these possibilities. You know what? Let's just get to done instead of talk about what could be, what might have been. Do is better, did is better than what if. To go, I'm just going to finish and see something through. Can I remind us again, there are a few different mindsets regarding endurance. There are those who quit. The text certainly, I think, calls that into view when it says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. But I also think in our day, while it's not addressed in the text by way of application, it should be in our mind, there are those who are like, I'm not going to quit. I'm just never going to start. Commitments? I'm not making any commitment. Because if I don't commit and if I don't start, then I can't ever be held accountable. Right? It kind of came into my mind. I was subbing in a couple different Sunday school classes coming out of our spiritual discipline study. I had the privilege in most of that, class, uh, most of that study in sitting and listening to others teach. And you walk through the spiritual disciplines and go, hey, you know what? It is a good act of God's grace in you to read your Bible, to take God's word in. It is a good act of God's grace to pray and have a relationship with God and to fast and to serve and to worship and to evangelize and all these different disciplines that we touched on. But it's kind of easy for us to be that man who looks in the mirror and goes, yeah, that's probably a good thing to do, and walk away, right? There's need to look at some of those things and go, well, hey, I don't want to be someone who walks away from 13 weeks in a Sunday school study and didn't grow or didn't change. It's better to start and go, you know what? That one right there, that was convicting. That's one that needs some growth. And to start on a path that says, God, I want to try rather than to never start. Again, three mindsets regarding endurance. There are those who quit. There are those who never start, perhaps because of fear of failure, perhaps because of just a laziness that doesn't want to commit. But there are those who endure and finish. That's what's commended here. Better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof, the patient in spirit than the proud in spirit. Again, Bible, a number of times I referenced James 1 this morning, speaks of the benefit of enduring. The trying of our faith works patience. We've talked about that word patience a number of times. Uh, The most common word in the New Testament is a combination of two words, a preposition and a verb, and it means to remain under. It's like the load is heavy. I kind of want to get the load off. 
but remain under. Stay after it. So when your faith is being tested, adversity is present, remain under. Finish. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. The patient in spirit, those who endure better than those who are proud and just have things that they want to talk about or brag about. Think of it this way from another New Testament perspective, that familiar, the familiar words of Hebrews 12. How do we run our race? We run our race with patience, with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the one who started our faith, who finishes our faith. He, he will finish in us the good work that he started. We could summarize Solomon's thought very simply here to say patience, patient endurance is better than proud arrogance or initial brilliance. Say, God, I just want to stay after it. I want to stay after it. I want to stay after it. I want to stay after it. Again, there's much to be commended for someone who has just faithfully walked with the Lord year after year after year in spite of trials, in spite of those who kind of reject and ridicule your faith, in spite of the differing challenges that come with each age and stage of life, to go, God, I just want to be faithful. I want to hear, well done, well done thou good and faithful servant. You know, it's been on my mind, it was actually in our Bible reading again this morning, it was in our Bible reading again not too long ago before that, uh, but we're reminded God gives grace to the humble. He stands against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble to go, God, would you by your grace enable me to be faithful, to finish my race that you've started? We look at the Solomon's instruction for life. He says, here's the tragedy of self-indulgence with oppression, with bribery. Here's the superiority of patience or enduring to go, better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof. Third, I think it's related particularly to the last part of verse 8 with pride, but third, we come to the folly of anger. The folly of anger. Someone who's like, I'm tempted not to finish to endure, but they're very proud, can uh, respond in anger. It says, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. You ever walked through adversity, through challenge, through unexpected trials and difficulty, and it just makes you angry? Like, we're not thinking this way because we're trying to spiritualize it or not recognize it, but just the self-centered side is like, I don't deserve this. What do you deserve? I was like, look, as you walk through challenges, through difficulty, don't be quick to get angry. Be not hasty in thy spirit to anger. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. Pride often produces anger. Again, I should have written it down. I just made the note uh, this morning that in our Bible reading this morning, you go back, you can look at it if you're tracking with the church's plan. It said that strife comes by anger. Right? Anger, pride produces these problems. Anger's foolish, he's telling us here. We can't be blaming others for our failure in verse 8. Instead, we look to God in humility for grace to be patient. Think of some other familiar New Testament texts. We did this in the last point. We'll do it again here, but the wonderful wisdom of James 1, right? Coming out of all those trials and recognizing that we are to endure because the one who endures receives this crown. And just so you don't get this wrong, let no man say when he's tempted, 
that he's tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust when enticed. And here's how that whole process works of lust bringing forth sin and sin when it's finished bringing forth death. He goes through all that. He's like, and, and don't get this wrong. Do not err. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. Like he's walking us through this whole path of going, when you go through difficulty, it is a good thing. It is building you. God wants you to endure. Temptation doesn't come from him. Here's what does come from him. And then he comes out of that and says these words in James 1, 19 and 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath, for why? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It's like, doest thou well to be angry? James 1.20 says, no. Anger does not help you meet God's standard. That's been like one of the most convicting verses for me as a dad, by the way. It's like, hey, Dad, if you get anger, you can just bank on it. Your anger, it might like, get effect in your children, and they might comply, and they might go, okay, well, Dad's upset. Let me better do it. But it will never help them or me meet God's standard. They're doing it because they don't want Dad to be angry instead of going, I need to please God. You know, I can walk through trials of life. We can face adversity that Solomon's talked about, and I can be frustrated and angry. And you know what? Instead of learning the lesson, I'm missing it. So Solomon tells us, hey, don't be quick to get angry. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. I would remind us of another New Testament text that when it comes to our lives as believers and what we're to put off and put on, Ephesians 4.31 tells us this way, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Not going to take the time to walk through that, but as you uh, word by word, but as you work through verse 31, you find out all of those terms are just different expressions of anger. Some of them rest deep inside like bitterness. Some of them come right out outside like evil speaking. And he goes through all of them. And he's like, all these different varied forms of anger, get them out of your life. And instead, what's supposed to be in our life? That familiar words, like it's not just a kid's verse. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, right? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Solomon's like, look, when you face these difficulties, these challenges, you need to make sure that you're not living selfishly and mistreating others for your own advantage. You need to make sure that you finish, that you endure, that you remain faithful but you need to be on guard against anger because anger rests in the bosom of fools. He's pointed to the tragedy of self-indulgence, the superiority of patience, the folly of anger, and now fourth, the priority of now. The priority of now. Now again, keep in mind, we are not saying this to the exclusion of the future. We've already been told, think ahead. We saw that this morning. But he's telling us in verse 10, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. 
He's saying, don't spend too much time looking back and talking about the good old days. I would guess many of us have been guilty of that. We go, you know, if I had lived back then, if we could just go back to this time frame, you know, life was good, and it's kind of like this discontent with the present lot in life, the portion that God has given, that goes, you know, I just remember, you remember back in the good old days, and we kind of put on these rose-colored glasses, and Solomon's like, it doesn't help you live for God to spend all your time looking in the rearview mirror. That's a bad way to drive through life. Look out the windshield. Okay? It is the priority of now. You know, when things get started, when life starts, maybe it's uh, a job or a marriage, all these different things, it's exciting, it's invigorating, it's life-giving. But you know what is also rewarded is enduring. Staying after it. And we can look back and go, you remember when we were in our 20s? You remember when? You can pick whatever time frame you want. Hey, it was good, but Solomon's been saying it's great to endure, to stay after it, to not go back and look at those former days and try to figure that out. Living now with the Word and the Spirit is more important than spending our time analyzing our history. Came across something recently. I'm sure it's not perfect, but I think the thought matters because, you know, we live in a day where many people like to look and go, you remember what America was like back then? Do you remember what the church was like back then? Man, it's just so hard today. And we do exactly what Solomon's warning us against here. And as I was reading what was written, I thought the words were appropriate. I'll share some of it with us. He says, don't feel sorry for or fear what your kids and grandkids are going to face in the world as they grow up, and it's not what it used to be. That's where a lot of people live. Like, oh, my, my kids, my grandkids. And it's true. The world is a scary place, right? Because God created them and called them for the exact moment in time they're in. Their life isn't a coincidence or an accident. So raise them up in the power to know they can walk as children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith, knowing that God is in control. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful they can do something about it. Every person in all of history has been placed in the time that they were in because of God's sovereign plan. He goes on to say he knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath, that Esther could handle Haman, that Peter could handle persecution. And we could go through multiple character after character in God's word, not because of who they were, but because of the God who led them there and gave them grace in the moment. Solomon here knows God is in control, that God is sovereign in the day of adversity and the day of prosperity. We might see that in just a couple verses. Okay? And Solomon is saying, be careful of spending your time going, you know, remember the good old days? Remember what it was like back then, man? I wish we could go back. I'm so concerned about the future. There is much to be concerned about in the future. We live in some incredibly challenging days. But we serve a God who is more than able to give grace to prevail, to bring glory to himself. And so rather than living in the past, recognize the priority of now. So we look at the instruction of life. We've just talked about the priority of now, the tragedy of self-indulgence, superiority of patience, faith, folly of anger. Now fifth, let's look at the prosperity of wisdom. 
prosperity of wisdom. Verses 11 and 12, wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is a, there's profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth light to them that have it. It's a little bit different. Solomon doesn't come right out in this one and say better is, but he does point to the fact that wisdom is better than money here. The excellency, the surpassing worth and value of knowledge is wisdom gives life to those who have it. He uses an illustration there at the beginning of verse 11. If you end up with resources, you've received this inheritance, wisdom is still required. But that wisdom matters while you are alive. Again, it doesn't matter if we're speaking of an inheritance or specifically or money generally. There is benefit in those things, but wisdom is of surpassing value, right? He said it very clearly there in verse 12. Wisdom is a defense for you. It protects you. It helps you. And the same is true with money to an extent. But if you are going to only have one, you need to have wisdom. Wisdom is to be sought, it's to be pursued, it has surpassing value. Many commentators point to Solomon's words in Proverbs chapter 3, so I'll remind you of them here as we consider it in this section. Proverbs 3 verse 13, Solomon writes and says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Maybe we walk away from verses 11 and 12, just by way of application. Go This next week, if you can only either grow in wisdom or grow in wealth, which would you prefer? Like if your paycheck this next week is wisdom or wealth, but not both, which would you take? And Solomon is saying, understand, there is benefit. Both have some protective measures. Again, I think it's uh, words there in Proverbs 30 where uh, we're told, hey, Lord, neither give me poverty nor riches. I don't want to bail on you, God, uh, but I also don't want to forsake you. God, I just want to trust you with whatever you uh, supply me with. Solomon here is saying to us, yes, there's benefit in both, but wisdom has a far surpassing value. So recognize the prosperity of wisdom. It is better. By way of application, I also just want to throw it out there to the parents in the room and ask you the question, if you could give your children wisdom or possessions, which would you prefer? To go, you know what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So primary for me, like I want my kids, rather than living for stuff, to know God, to fear Him, to realize that the abundance of life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that we possess. It's about fearing God, about living for Him. When we, vote, when we ask ourselves that question, when we think of it in terms of those under our influence, we have to ask ourselves, do our life choices and instruction 
validate our answer to go, what I want is the priority of wisdom, the prosperity of wisdom. God, I want to know you. I want to reverence you. I want your word, your character to dictate my decisions, to inform my perspective, whether I walk through good or adversity. We spent our time today looking this morning at the instruction of death, the correction of wisdom, then this evening the instruction for life. As you look at the instruction of life to go, man, there is a tragedy to self-indulgence. There is a superiority to patience, to endurance. There is folly to anger. There is a priority to living now rather than in the past. And there is a prosperity to wisdom. But we want to end tonight, end today, by looking finally at verses 13 and 14, the conclusion of faith. The conclusion of faith. All of the principles that we've talked through, learning from death, being corrected by wisdom, all these five practical instructions for daily living only work when submitted to the sovereign will of God. It's that uh, conclusion of the whole matter that we haven't referenced in a while. It's that Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. He says it differently here. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. You know, when you look at verse 13, he's not saying like, well, God just did something wrong because the path is crooked. He's saying God has the sovereignty to make the path however he sees fit. And as we know well from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it is not the path that we would view always as straight because his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways. To go, God is going to do things. It's like, God, I don't know why you're doing this now. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure I like it. I'm not sure I agree. But God, I don't want to sit in your position. I'm going to let God be God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. He says, consider the work of God. You, You can't change it. This is what God has done. And so he points to these two extremes that we've referenced a number of times through the day. He's like, if that path is a path of prosperity, here's your response. Be joyful. But if that path is a path of adversity, consider, learn. God has both for us. We don't live for now. It reminds us, yes, when it's good, I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm still looking forward to being with him. When it's hard, I'm going to walk through it, I'm going to learn from it, but I still know that one day I'm going to be with him. Eternity matters. It's the idea that we came to at the end of verse 6, living with eternity, or at the end of chapter 6, living with eternity in view. To go uh, there at the end in verse 11 and 12, seeing there that many things that increase vanity. What is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him after the sun? He's already answered that question. Here's what's good, this opportunity to be with God, to know God. 
And so Solomon concludes, the chat, or concludes this section saying, enjoy the good days, but don't run from the bad ones. Learn from the bad ones. Lessons are to, there to be learned, perspective gained, and wisdom practiced. Learn. Don't blame him. Submit to him, whether it's in prosperity or adversity. And we do so recognizing that wisdom starts by fearing the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we've gone to your word again this evening, I pray that you would take some of the very practical, simple thoughts of the instruction for life and help us this week. Help us realize that when adversity is present, there's opportunity for learning, for growth. There's an opportunity simply to be faithful and to endure so that you are glorified in us. Lord, I pray that we would be on guard about selfishness in the different arenas of life, whether at work or at home, in our neighborhoods, or even with our fellow church people. Lord, I pray that by the work of your Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit, we'd be on guard against anger, recognizing that anger is foolishness but that instead we'd be seeking to learn. Lord, I thank you for the instruction that Solomon has given us here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.